everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under, category like fragrances and handbags, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's macy's.com slash gift finder today. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mal, and today I am joined by some very important fashion residents of One World Trade Center. Laia Garcia Furtado. Hello. Jose Criados Unzueta. Good morning. Laird Borelli Pearson. It's a really three-name crew here. <laughs> we, lo- we love yeah. a dash, a hyphen. <laughs> and I will note that, sadly, my Valentine, Choma, is um, not joining us this morning because she is currently on a cross transatlantic flight back to London. Heartbreak. Too sad, but um, instead I have the amazing Vogue Runway team to also be my Valentine's instead. Exactly. Three for the first one. It is Wednesday afternoon. We are at the tail end of Fashion Week. Now, did anything happen last night? Girl. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so like, (laughs) the streets were saying, and when I say the streets, I mean... Everyone. It's giving publicists, street self photographers, Everyone. jealous publicists who were not working on the show. Like the girls were all over the place. Um, and someone just says, I think Beyonce and Solange are going to the Luar show. And when you think Beyonce is going, you're like, girl. I was like, no. You know, we were all like, yeah, this is. Well, well, let's sure. also remind people when and where the Luar show is. Yes. This is so, not Midtown at 4 p.m. Exactly. This is Bushwick. It's like 154 Scott. It's a new. Members only club, but there's like a big venue there. But it's sort of like the middle of Bushwick, right? It's at 9 p.m., oh but the show God. starts at like 10. You know oh what I mean? Oh, my it's God. Like, so we're going to set up a little bit of context. Raul Lopez, who is the founder of Luar, was also the co-founder of Hood by Air. Iconic New York City brand with Shane Oliver really helped define a very specific time in New York City fashion, in my opinion. Solange, who is a real one, as you surely know, <laughs> used to and still does wear a lot of Telfar by Telfar Clemens, yeah. a lot of Hood by Air and Loire, of course. Like, she knows them. She's been around them. You know what I mean? She's she's one of the girls. She's yeah. one of the girls. Her son, Jules, 
is also one of the girls. You know what I mean? In the sense that, like, he, they are part of this community. They're part of okay. the culture, right? It's authentic. It's real. It's, it's not really, it's just, It's real, yeah. exactly. So, like, when we first heard about this, I was like, well, it makes sense that Solange goes because I'm sure Jules is walking the show. But I really didn't believe the Beyonce of it all because I was like, well, she just announced Renaissance Act 2 at the Super Bowl. Like, I don't think her first public appearance is going to be in New York during Fashion Week at this 9 p.m. show. You know, it just kind of feel felt a little yeah. far-fetched. But it was a true, like, Noel's family affair last night at the Lord. Tina show. went, too. Mercedes Beyonce, like Solange, Miss Tina. You and Jules on the runway. This is what ha- happened. <laughs> <laughs> last season, they started doing two entrances for the Loire show. One that's general admission and one that's like a VVIP. Because of our job titles, we're very lucky to be able to use said entrance. And as I'm like going, approaching the entrance, someone goes, stop. That was my masculine voice. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, what's happening? And he goes like, you can't use this entrance. I was like, but I can. And he was like, well, not right now. So then a door opens and all I see is a cowboy hat and a bleach blonde ponytail. Oh, my and God. And I was like, the rumors are actually true. There is a picture, by the way, of Beyonce yes. like, entering and Jose <laughs> and in, I'm the in the background is like, Mouth agape. Mind you, dear listener, I am dressed like a traffic cone. <laughs> I am in head to toe orange and red. Like you, you know what I mean. Well, it was I'm a just snow like, day yesterday, it, so we okay, were dressed I for was the in the elements. Ski it pads. was very SMR too. <laughs> Thank you. It was. It was a lot of swishing. I'm like, I'm gagged. She walks in. I text the group chat, like the Vogue Rubber group chat. And I'm like, y'all, Beyonce is actually here. No one believed we're me. We're like, are you sure? And then Solange walks in. Sits next to Christopher John Rogers, Love. gorgeous, wearing Loire. Christopher is gagged. <laughs> Not sitting next to each other? No. no. It made sense because Solange, remember Solange is low-key. Yeah. Yeah, Beyonce's outfit, not low key. And honestly, I don't know that a lot of people actually clock that she was there. Yeah. That Solange wow. was there. And also like Solange is like around people she knows. Dare I ask, did we care about the actual show? That's what I was gonna say. On top of everything else, yes. the clothes were so good. It was like Clothes, capital C, space, capital L, space, yeah. capital O, space. Like it was like yeah. monumental. Oh, love this. Gorgeous. Yeah. His whole show was about the metrosexual and the return of the metrosexual. It's almost like it's a whole thesis. He went to his like anthropology tease. It was really fun. You can read like about it in the review because it is actually like a big, big thing. But I do think that it's what I love about Rose. Like he's asking interesting, important questions about our culture, right? Like, about queer culture, about American culture, yeah. internet culture, masculinity, and that I love a show that makes me think. I mean, exactly. I will say I encourage everyone to go back and listen to Choma's amazing tour of Raul's studio with him, which was actually a full year ago. It was last yeah. for last fashion, uh, February Fashion Week, and I feel like you get such a sense of who he is. Wait, <laughs> I do. I do have to bring something up that may be controversial. Uh oh. Um, Chloe Ma had a staring role at a New York Fashion Ooh. Week show. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I was there, so I will say. You weren't just there. In fact, <laughs> it was like, kind of my fault. <laughs> Let me set the scene. Yeah, please, by all Jose means. Jose and please. I went to a food court <laughs> ne- next door with Choma and Marco Gigi before on our way from Willie to uh, Tommy Hilfiger and everyone this is from Greenpoint to Grand Central Station mind you and I was like hey I come to this food court I go here all the time taking Artie after swim camp and they're like how did you discover this place (laughs) so we all had tacos and everyone chose their own adventure and then we rushed into Tommy and Jose scooted into a banquette I scooted next to him John Batiste was the surprise performer at Mm -hmm. Tommy 
I am convinced that he had a plan to um, dance with Anna Winter. I agree. And who was that next to you? Who was in the bunkhead like right the bunk- next yeah. to me. And I think that he read the room correctly from her body language that that was a no. He just kind of like approaches, you know, the, the Vogue section, <laughs> reads the room, turns his eyes to the person next to Anna, and it is Miss Chloe Ma. <laughs> Grabs Chloe by the hands, who, by the way, Chloe is the soldier you want next to you in a battle. She it's will, true. She, listen, she took it like it's champ, stood up, danced with him for a minute, sat back down. Her face matched her beautiful red sweater. I, was, I just felt myself red. <laughs> it was legendary, I will say. It, this is also the first night of New York Fashion Week. It like, really kicked it off. It really kicked it off. Like, it just really set so the So from stage. Chloe to Beyonce. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there we <laughs> you go. Know, exactly. From we like Chloe to, to bookend it. Yeah, yes, we really like to bookend it. I am a sucker for a big pageant at Fashion Week. And, like, Tommy really brought it. He took yeah. over the Oyster Bar at Grand Central Station. Glamour. Which was so glamorous. It was such a good idea because it's such a beautiful space. But can we talk about the clothes? Because they were amazing. Yeah. Some amazing pleated skirts. The proportions were felt fresh. I think it's also, like, the Oyster. Like, you know, it was a combination of a lot of things that makes a really good show. His goal, he was like, I just want this to feel like a New York minute. Yeah. And it was it was very that it felt so it was a New York moment, right? And it's the same thing with Luar. Like Luar was such a New York moment where you're just kind of like different moment, but exactly. <laughs> I think this this Fashion Week was a lot about New York yeah. too. I mean, the locations yeah. and things really were telling a story yeah. about where where we live. All right, now I want to know favorite moments of the week from the whole team here. Uh, yes. Willie Chavaria, one of our favorites, who started kicked off the week. At first, he was going to do a movie instead of a show, mm-hmm. and he directed this beautiful film that really captured, you know, the essence of of what the Willie vibe is. Also, showed the clothes really beautifully. Like it started sort of very, you know, he's like the world is on fire right now, and and the the film sort of presented that. But then at the end, it was about how you know through community you can sort of live through anything. And at the end, um, there were all of these models who are, you know, a mix of models and his cast of friends. Everyone's wearing, like, the latest collection and dancing. And if the show had just had been just that, we would have been, like, bummed out but happy. But then the show, you know, we got to see all the models. And it was also just really, really electrifying. And something happened at that show that I've never seen where at the end of the show, all of the models set themselves up in a tableau at the back of of the runway and everybody, you know, everybody applauded, blah, blah, blah. The models walked away and everybody just stood there. Like, it's true. Like waiting for an encore. I know. Like where, when have you ever seen that happen? And then people applauded again and then like the show ended. To me, there that was, was something like really special. There was like this moment of breathlessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like you guys mentioned a lot of the moments I loved. I, um... But I loved Form. Form is so good. Form was so good. It was just sort of in, you know, one of the sad warehouses in the 30s. Yeah. But they just, it was, it felt like it had a point of view. It was mm-hmm. chic. There were these weird knit swim camps. The brilliant Max Ortega styled it. Yes. Um, and just these sort the the pleating was perfect. Like they were all things you'd want to wear, but it felt quite directional. They I, also I, felt like weightless. Yeah. They were like yes. very sculptural clothes. As if you were swimming. Exactly. I went to Anna Sweet just for fun. I didn't have to review. I mean, have to, but I didn't have the privilege of reviewing. But that never <laughs> happens. But um, you know, it really made my dreams come true because I'm such a paperholic and book fiend and I'd never been to the private or the 
Strand's private book or Ugh, antiquarian. So fabulous. The Strand Bookstore, as everyone knows, is an iconic New York landmark, one of its famously eight miles of books. But they have this extremely special room on the second floor that they sometimes hold events in. That's the rare books room. And there are just such special gems there. And I thought that was such a brilliant place to have a show, especially that was referencing so much uh, literature in the clothes. It was so nice. Anna's not a showy person. It was a great show. It was a fantastic show. Um, and with references to some of her early 90s work, Mark Jacobs was there. Victoria Bartlett was there. It was a New York moment. It was legends, but it was also people coming together for someone that they really liked. Mm-hmm. I'm actually jealous. I, like, I think two shows I would have liked to go to this season. One of them is um, the Anna Sui show, but just because it looked so fun. And Joseph Altazara celebrated his 15th anniversary. It's 15 years of Altazara, which is really crazy. He hosted, like, a double feature, two very intimate shows, one for press one and friends and one for, for buyers. There were tiny shows in his office building, but I heard it was beautiful. I saw the photos. It looked really, really That was stunning. one of my top moments. Yeah. Like, I don't um, travel to Paris, so I don't have that familiarity, but it, to me it felt like a real, like, French salon mm-hmm. experience. It was extremely intimate. And it also it wasn't like— a pay-to-play front row thing. Zadie Smith was in the front row in, Love. like, ballet pink satin Altazara separates, just sort of slumped reading the Ibsen plays that were given to everyone at their seat. And then adorable Emma, four-year-old daughter of Joseph and Seth, was in the front row in a matching outfit as Joseph. We love, love. we love a daddy-me look. Yes. Sometimes I feel like people do a show where they're just pulling from past seasons and it feels uncreative in a way, but this felt very referential in a in a new, fresh way. Yeah, I agree. And I'm also very excited about, um, we're recording this on Wednesday, um, the last show of New York Fashion Week is Tom Brown, which is this afternoon. Um, I love the Tom shows, but this season for Gilded Age fans, aka Laya, Me. Um, Carrie Coon, who plays Bertha Russell, oh, is, yes. I'm so excited. is doing a voiceover um, and narrating the show, but the voiceover she's doing is of the Raven. So, oh, very top, literary yeah. season. So yeah, very. The girls New are York reading. Loves to read. The girls yeah, are reading. Reading yeah. is fundamental. Well, book adjacent. Exactly. Book adjacent, <laughs> right? Um, book styling, as, as they would call it. Tom loves Edgar Allan Poe. He sort of like referenced him in the past before. But this morning, because I did a mini interview with Carrie about it. This morning, I realized something insane. Like, is that a funny coincidence? So Tom and his partner, Andrew Bolton, from The Met, live on Sodom Place in this red brick, gorgeous, I stunning mean, house. Yes. Indescribable. Exactly. That that house was built for Anne Vanderbilt. Ah. Anne Vanderbilt was the second wife of William Kissam Vanderbilt, whose first wife was Alva Vanderbilt, a.k.a. Bertha Russell in The Gilded Age. Oh, my That's God. What I was a.k.a. I Carrie Coon. Y'all, I gagged myself on the train. Ah, Miss Marple. I told you this <laughs> when Marple we were talking about this. <laughs> I didn't even know. We are kicking off a new series, a Shark Week, if you will, All the Women We Want to Wear. And today we are talking about... Mrs. Prada. The March issue is out this week, and it was a big Fashion Week drop with Mrs. Prada on the cover, a spectacular portrait and story. I want to know what you thought about the cover. I mean, this is a very unvogue cover. This is a big departure. Usually it's, as everyone knows, a celebrity. It's a splashy 
moment, this is quite elegant and quiet in some ways, no? I loved it. Me too. From the moment that I found out <laughs> that she was going to be on the cover, I couldn't believe it. I'm just going to say, I was like, what? No way. And I just think she looks gorgeous. I love that it's outside but in a different way because there are outside covers, but the outside usually acts as like a, a background and here it's like situational. And I, if you really want to stretch it, um, because she's in profile, it reminds me a little bit about, you know, Renaissance portraits. No, that's a good point, actually. Like, it's rare that a cover photo um, is so context-based. And you really have a sense of, of Mrs. Prada's world, which mm-hmm. often it's a studio, it's a backdrop, it's very staged. And this, as ever with her, and I think one of the many reasons we love her is she feels so authentic and so true to who she is. And, and that, so Italian. And so Italian, and that really came through. What a coup to pull this off. It was photographed by Steph Mitchell in Venice, styled by Alex Harrington. Mrs. Prada is obviously wearing Prada. Mrs. Prada is famously quite interior and and does not give a lot to press, which is part of her charm. Um, But I thought that Wendell Stevenson, who is used to going across enemy lines and war zones, really got great material from Mrs. Prada and, and... wrote this very compelling um, world-building piece. Laya, I loved your interview with Wendell, but um, my jaw dropped when you told me that there's a quite an interesting early career for Mrs. Prada. So she, you know, she studied political science um, in school, but she also studied to be a mime. But it's not the Marcel Marcel mime. <laughs> you, like, you can't think of Miss, Mrs. Prada in white face and a striped shirt inside a box. I have Ugh. looked into this God, and God how much I would like to. I mean, but it, and it was what the what they call mime at the time. It was much more I would say like modern dance. And we'll be back in just a moment all about Mrs. Prada. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. 
The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, Wendell. Hello. Thank you for joining us today to talk about your Mutia product cover story. I'm very happy to be here. Let's start at the beginning, I guess. What was it like meeting her the first time? It was a little bit scary. It was a little bit nerve-wracking. I had previously been reporting from Israel, so I'd gone almost straight from um, the West Bank to Venice. I was a little bit fish out of water in another water, and I was a little bit nervous. Usually you cover sort of war zones, you're more of a political writer. How did you prep for this interview? No, I did. Um, I did as much prep as I could, which is to read, you know, as many articles about her, as many profiles, um, interviews that I could find. There's quite a lot out there. She's been at the top of her game and very a prolific designer for a long time. So there were decades of these. So I did that. And I also watched fair amount of YouTube videos of, interestingly, there's a subgenre which Vogue readers will know much better than I, of uh, fashion critiques and fashion video bloggers out there who, some of whom are really interesting and smart and had really interesting and smart things to say about her and her designs and the intellectual heft and weight and origins behind them. But, you know, it was a bit daunting, um, not least because you can see a sort of trend running through all of her um, interviews and the profiles and stories about her, that she's fairly reticent in public. These sort of things that you're looking for, the the, the meat and drink and the details and the anecdotes, you know, that make a profile come alive, you know, she's much more reticent about. So I was cognizant of that, and that made the challenge greater. So you first met in Venice. Mm -hmm. Can you describe a little bit, you know, the setting, the mood? What was the vibe for that first meeting? I was lucky enough to sit in um, or observe a little bit of her photo shoot for the cover, which took place at the at the Prada Palazzo on the Grand Canal in Venice. It was November. It was a kind of gray day, but all the more atmospheric for it. And it was a very chill vibe. That was, I think, the thing that impressed me first was that she was quite at ease, quite comfortable, professional, relaxed. Was there anything surprising about that first sort of meeting or conversation with her? Um, after she did the photo shoot, um, several of us sat down for lunch, a late lunch, and she was very warm and chatty and served everybody sort of Italian mama style. And I think what really impressed me was at the end, you know, people had to go off and do their things. And she, you know, helped one or two of us clear the plates for the t from the table to the side. It was helpful and natural and reasonable. And I 
got up and and helped to clear too and and she and her publicist is very nice said uh oh no no, no you're a guest you know you don't have to do that I said <laughs> no let me chip in <laughs> Mrs Prada <laughs> there's a sort of warmth and a graciousness and she has a regal bearing and but she, that's not how she behaves you went to her house on the second meeting. On the did. Second yes, meeting. I did, which I think was a great honor. She lives in a beautiful apartment building, but a, I would say it's grand, but it's very classical Milanese bourgeois apartment building on on a main road in Milan. Um, you'd walk past it; it looks like many others. But she was, in fact, born in that house, and her family, many of her family members, still live there. So you walk in, and and it is about as sort of beautiful and well appointed, and sumptuous, and comfortable, and interesting as you would imagine Mutual Prada's apartment to be. You know, the walls are covered in art. You know, you can only guess at half of them. The other half you recognize. There's um, it's wonderful. Uh, velvet sofas in jewel tones and this really cool black shag pile rug in front of a fire. And it's lined in huge bookshelves. And that's what you know really struck me was the number of books that were around and in piles, in heavy piles of art books and um, f- books of photography and artists, as well as novels and treatises and essays. And I mean, it's absolutely myriad. Her intellectual life is really rich, really varied, and she reads a ton. I feel like there is a a few things that people love about, I call it like mutual lore, and it's basically that she was a member of the Italian Communist Party before she took over Prada and that she marched in Saint Laurent famously. How do you think, or do you think that that political manifests in her clothes and what she does? She talked, and I make reference to it in the article, constantly about being useful, about being meaningful, and for her designs to be that too. She talked about... Um, wanting to make people feel better as they go about their lives and inhabit their selves and find themselves and express themselves, that it wasn't about costuming people so much as it was about giving them a way to feel more comfortable in the world. And I think that clearly, you know, her feminism, she was a member of an Italian feminist league and March for Women's Rights and There's a certain sort of feminist streak that runs through her work, which is, I think, about comfort, practicality. And when, you know, but she also has whimsy and humor and flights of, you know, pink and twill and and, and, and fantasy too, which is also part of being a woman and expressing yourself. But she did say to me, you know, I don't like to do the sexy, biased, cut, obvious stuff. I loved in the article how you juxtaposed, you know, you're like, she doesn't like the word luxury. She loves the word useful. And then I was reading something else. She she was like, luxury is like walking to the countryside or luxury is doing this. Like she just hates luxury. And I love that usefulness is so much because usefulness can mean so many things and utilitarian can mean so many things. And I feel like I'd never necessarily sort of put those things together as they relate to her political nature, which was very cool, too. Well, I think that, you know, she's the the face and at the helm and running and designing for a huge global brand. She cannot be explicitly political in her views. She cannot explicitly have views in public. But I think that you can see a lot of the expression of that coming out in the exhibitions and shows that she encourages the Fondazione Prada to put on. 
while I was there, I had the great good fortune to be given a tour of the latest exhibition on climate change. And so you can see that she wants to engage with the great issues of the day. And she also wants to be not just to illustrate or to show them through art, but to use these as a springboard for education, for discussion. Um, so the foundation in Milan has concerts, a cinema, is gives talks and um, has panel discussions. It seems that she is extremely involved with everything, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. I was quite surprised. I mean, She's 75 years old, but she's not she's not stepping back. <laughs> she's not recusing herself. She's yeah. not taking a, you know, a break or, or, or lessening the load and stuff. But it also comes, I think, and it's part of why Prada has been so successful, is that, you know, they're really paying attention to what goes on and in, you know, the in the stores or online or the way to do fashion shows or the way to do all sorts of things. It's a very personal imprimatur, and that's what gives it a you know an authenticity and an integrity. What do you make of the bringing on Raph Simmons to co-design the main collection? Well, I mean, it seems to be a completely genius move. You know, clearly, you know, she's seventy-five; she's getting on a little bit, and you can see that that she and her husband, who've been at the helm for decades now, are seriously you know putting a, a very uh, um, intelligent and careful succession plan in place so raf simmons has come on they seem to um both enjoy designing together enjoy the collaboration i talked to raf simmons and he was equally nice and engaging and intelligent and thoughtful as mrs prada and also i think comes from a from a quite an intellectual and thoughtful background yeah. and is also very interested in art and has a big that's a big part of his life and um inspiration i know that mrs prada likes to collaborate she likes to bounce ideas off people and i know that when i talked to raf simmons for example he said that you know he agreed to do it you know a huge um heavyweight a list um, designer being in in equal partnership and collaboration with another on a brand is not a usual state of affairs. But he was very happy. He seemed to be happy to do it because he knew Mrs. Prada and her husband from before. He he felt at ease with them and uh, trusted them. Hey, I'm Molly Sims, and I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession: beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand, always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. With access to so much information, it's hard to feel like an informed, discerning citizen. That's why on Make Me Smart, which is a podcast from Marketplace, we make it easy for you to stay in the know. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I unpack the latest from Washington, D.C. Uh, the Senate Minority Leader has announced that he will step down as the Republican leader. What's happening in AI? Uh, I mean, don't buy at the top, but holy cow, artificial intelligence and all the companies related to it are the, the hot new thing. And we do 
the numbers. So as a refresher, inflation is the rate of increase in the prices of things. It's not just sort of things getting more expensive. It's a speed at which things get more expensive. Because in a world that's constantly changing, we all need to stay smart. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. So her son, Lorenzo, recently has a had a daughter. So now Mucha is a grandmother, which... I feel like, uh, yeah, I I don't think I knew about that until until I read the profile, and I love that she, you know she's thinking and considering like all of the things that she has to teach this little girl. Well, there is this sort of great pedagogy. So there's this great desire to learn and to understand things better and to keep learning and discovering for her granddaughter to teach and to learn from her. Um, equally. And she worried, you know, I have to learn all about, you know, what's happening now in education. It's all so different, right? So she was going, as much as she wanted to teach her and to show her the world, she wanted to learn how to do it well. (laughs) And I have to ask, did you stress about what you were going to wear um, when meeting her? Or do you have a, would you abide by your sort of standard reporting uniform? Well, like I say, I'd been in Israel reporting (laughs) <laughs> beforehand <laughs> when I got when I got asked to do this so I did not have time to go home and get the uh, meet Mrs Prada <laughs> outfit so I was really slightly reduced to one decent raincoat and uh, and a pair of decent trousers and a and a sweater and my um, bluntstone war boots. Sounds very <laughs> utilitarian I, and useful. And I feel that's, like <laughs> that's what I wore. And actually, I think it was. I think it was fine. It was a sort of you know perfectly um, smart, but not too smart. Um, you know, urban uniform. And yeah. it, and it, I, and I noticed actually that that people around her in her team, you know, were wearing much the same, you know, a nice pair of trousers and a sweater kind of thing. Yeah. And and so I, I breathed a minor sigh of relief <laughs> that I had. And then I wanted to know just personally, when you were looking through all of her collections, do you have a favorite Prada collection? I'm old enough that I remember um, when Prada first started. And I remember in the early 90s, um, buying a lot of Prada. And I have still several pairs of Prada shoes that come out not not infrequently. I have a pair of red velvet platform um, sandals. I know exactly which ones you're talking about. Yeah. That are still spectacular at almost, you know, and I think I wore them to my brother's wedding, um, you know, 20 years after I bought them. Um, And there are a few um, items like that that I... I still have. That's really good. Those platforms, I I have been looking for them. I haven't yet found them in my size, but almost everything, almost everything else from the 90s that I've wanted, I've been able to find slowly. I'm building my little archive. After meeting with her, why do you think she is so important in the industry and to the industry? I'm not a fashion reporter, so you guys may know better, but I'm not aware really of another designer who has in a single lifetime, you know, created a brand of such sustained influence that continues to grow and to globally in terms of sales, but also continues to grow in terms of influence and has become a sort of touchstone and a standard and an exemplar. There's a um, an originality, a drive to do better. She's a perfectionist. She's never quite satisfied. She 
she said to me a couple of times, it's really hard to have a really good idea. You know, this is not easy. You know, it happens once or twice a year. And that's what you, she's constantly striving for. Another quote um, from the article that was really interesting was when she says that every single morning I have to decide if I'm a 15-year-old girl or, or an old lady near to death, which especially with the insane success that Miu Miu has had in the last like three seasons where it really is, you know, this is how the 15, 18, 20-year-old, the youth is dressing. Um, it's well, really interesting. I mean, I think that's, but that's, that's all of us. And you're, you're young and I'm not as old as Mrs. Prada, but I'm older than you. And what happens is, is that you have this kind of weird thing as you get older, as you sort of, you accrue a bit of wisdom and that's quite nice and you accrue experience and that's sort of helpful and, and stories get longer and more convoluted, which if you're a writer, you like that, but you still feel, you know, the same often, you know, insecurities or doubts or idiocy, you know, sort of childish things <laughs> you did when you're 13 and you sometimes think you know how old am I why am I still you know feeling like this or doing this or whatever it is and I think it's part of her as she said you know I think we are all many characters you know sometimes we're mature and sometimes we're immature and sometimes we do considered things and sometimes we don't want to be rational yeah and I guess that's what makes her so great that she minds and explores all of the feelings of all these different characters, whether it's at Prada or at Mew Mew. All right, Wendell, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about your super great uh, Prada profile that's uh, in the new issue of Vogue. Thank you for having me to talk about it. I, it was a really fun, interesting, fascinating challenge to write. That's it for today's episode. See you tomorrow for Mrs. Beckham herself. Posh Spies. And Period. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Run Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns, with engineering from Jake Loomis, Gabe Kiroga, and James Yost. It is mixed by Mike Kutchman. Chris Bannon is Condé Nast's head of global audio. Get balanced or thrive trying. My name is Les and I'm the host of Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to helping you feel your best. Join me for casual conversations about what it means to live a well-rounded life. I cover everything from how to make friends as an adult to how to create a workout routine that works for you to how to practice better financial wellness. Tune in for approachable conversations with wellness thought leaders and inspiring guests, as well as intimate solo chats with me for relatable advice. Follow wherever you get your podcasts and look out for new episodes every Tuesday. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.